This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, it's Tuesday, December 20th, 2022. I'm Santita Jackson. Happy Hanukkah to our brothers and sisters. They celebrated it at the White House and they're going to have a permanent menorah installed at the White House. Praise God. Happy Hanukkah to all of our brothers and sisters. And Pastor Stephen Thurston is going to help us understand the significance of it as he discusses, as he gives us the good news today. It's very, very important that we understand Hanukkah and, and Yom Kippur, and we understand Eid. We need to understand these great holiday holidays of these tremendous religious traditions. We need to understand them all and embrace them all. We used to do that at my uh, preschool Hyde Park Day School in um, Union Day School in in, um, in in Hyde Park here in Chicago when my parents were at the University of Chicago. I am Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, getting just a little bit of feedback. We're going to work that out. And uh, today we're going to talk about the Christmas truce. Did you hear about that? It happened in 1914, World War One. The British and German soldiers refused to shoot each other for Christmas. Then they started singing Silent Night to each other in their languages. And then they came to the fence and they approached each other. And then they started playing with one another. Play. They used their helmets as soccer balls. Can you imagine if we did that today? Well, that is something that Reverend Jesse Jackson, Dr. Cornell West, Reverend Dr. William Barber, and many other prominent theologian, preacher, activists are calling on Ukraine, Russia, and the United States and NATO to do, to drop their arms. What do you think about that? Call me at 773-763-9278. And of course, you know we've got to talk about the Trump referral, the criminal referral of the January 6th committee. What do you think is going to happen next? Will the Department of Justice take that up? And what will be the political fallout? Because, you know, politics is is all, is in every indictment, every investigation. It just is. That's just the way it works, everybody. What is going to happen here? What do you think is going to happen? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278, because what we're looking at in Peru, and I'm so glad that uh, Dwight McKee reminded me, he said, hey, look at Peru. What's happening in Peru, um, that is because you have a popular president, at least he's popular in some quarters, uh, who's been imprisoned. Hey, just saying. So I want to hear what your thoughts are. Call me at 773-763-9278. The, the lines are open and we have some space. So I want to hear from you. 773-763-9278. There's a seat at this panel table and it's waiting for you to sit in it. 773-763-9278. Let's get to some of these headlines. It is cold, everybody. Cold, cold, cold. Please be careful. And it's going to be cold for the foreseeable. Everybody is just freezing out here. Chicago will will have a high of 32 degrees. That's as high as it's going to get. Snow showers. And Minneapolis, St. Paul. Oh, my gosh. Bless you at AM 950 Radio. I'm loving you, everybody. Four degrees above zero, partly cloudy. If you see anyone who's out on the streets, anyone homeless, please call the police and get them to a shelter, not to jail, to a shelter. Nobody should be out in this cold. 
in Chicago, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, anywhere. Fire station. People need to go where they can be warm. Please let us help one another out, particularly in this season. In the NFL, well, the Packers 24, the Rams 12, and the NBA, the Timberwolves 116, and the Mavericks 106. The Bulls will be playing the Heat tonight in the NHL. Both Chicago and Minneapolis teams were at rest. At rest. Everybody. After months of back and forth deliberations, the January 6th committee on Monday referred former President Donald Trump to the Justice Department on at least four criminal charges. We will be talking about that. More than 25 million people across much of the central and northwestern United States are under wind chill alerts. Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, most of Minnesota, where the high temperatures will remain below zero, everybody, according to the National Weather Service. God bless us all. It is cold. Chief Justice John Roberts yesterday put a temporary hold on the termination of the controversial Trump-era immigration policy known as Title 42 that was set to end Wednesday. He did it in a brief order, signaling that the court wants to act quickly. Roberts asked the Biden administration to respond by this evening, by tonight, to an emergency appeal filed by several Republican-led states. We will see where this will go. Will it be argued in the Supreme Court? We don't know. Will they kick it back to the lower courts? We don't know. We will have to see. CVS and Walgreens are limiting purchases of children's pain relief medicine amid rising cases of flu, COVID, and RSV. Wow, what will happen with our children, everybody? Consumers are finally seeing some relief at the pump. After a year of high inflation, the national average for regular gasoline uh, is, has dropped to three twelve a gallon. I'm not seeing that on the south side of Chicago, Pastor, but okay, I'll go with it. And if you listen to uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell... He's in a state of celebration. He hails a strong outcome for the GOP as the omnibus, the bill that funds the government, excludes poverty-cutting child tax credit. Is that a win, everybody? Call me at 773-763-9278-773-763. WCPT, just in time for the holidays, the Democrats may embrace the GOP plan to boot millions of people off Medicaid. That is the headline in Common Dreams today, with congressional leadership expected to imminently release the text of the omnibus government funding legislation. Politico revealed yesterday that Democrats are preparing to join with the Republicans who have demanded an end to Medicaid policies enacted because of the COVID-19 pandemic. What do you think about that, everybody? What do you think about that? Upending life, daily life during the pandemic led to traumatic stress amongst U.S. mothers in particular, according to a study by the National Institute of Health in the first 16 months of the pandemic. We still need help. We're still in a pandemic, everybody. And you know, a lot of countries are apologizing for slavery all over the world, including the Dutch. And their apology has been dismissed by black activists in the Netherlands as a neo-colonial belch. Ouch. Pastor Stephen Thurston, the author of the book, Neo-Colonial Belch, I had to, when I saw that, sir, I pulled it especially for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I I knew you'd love it. I knew you'd love it. But, um, well, we need some good news today. Merry Christmas to you. May God bless you. Real, 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 real good, Pastor. 
Likewise, and to everybody listening, listen, the good news today is that you can regain your hearing. Communication theory speaks of the sender, receiver, message, and noise as the components engage in the whole listening and communication process. And as we dive deep into understanding communication, we become aware that listening is the most important part of communication and is more than the passive act of receiving or hearing, it's the conscious processing of the auditory stimuli that has been perceived to hearing. In essence, I know those are big words, let me break it down for you. Listening is an active process. Many people think that they are better listeners than they actually are. I believe some wives can probably say amen right there. Yes. But have you ever noticed <laughs> how often we don't hear what we thought we heard? You think that a good number of us might be suffering from hearing impairment, that we're losing our hearing. But I don't think that's the case, Antita. Rather, I want to propose that many of us have either lost our ability to hear or never learned how to hear. So there are two types of listening that I want us to be clear on, listening to understand and then listening to respond. And because we were never properly taught or, or we've chosen to engage in passive rather than active listening, many of us have lost our ability to properly and adequately hear other people. When we listen to understand rather than listening to respond, we'll find greater satisfaction in our interpersonal relationships, which then leads to growth and change. And the goal of active listening, deep listening, is to acquire information and understand a person or situation better. Active listening is about a conscious decision to hear what an individual is actually saying. Now, comprehension and care are the two characteristics that frame the foundation for active listening. It's about getting to the heart of the matter and misunderstandings and finding out what's really happening from the lens of the other person. Active listening is essentially a slow-down conversation requiring both time and attention. So if you're going to gain your hearing back, here's what you don't want to continue doing during the act of listening. Uh, number one, be thinking about what you're going to say while you're listening. That's not listening. <laughs> number two, push for an outcome. That's not listening. Number three, interrupt. That's not listening. Number four, disagree with the speaker. Hold it down. Slow, slow it up. You get your chance to speak. Let them get it all out. And as we begin to listen more sensitively to people, they'll begin to listen to themselves more carefully, paying attention to their thoughts and feelings. So by improving our listening skills, we can actually aid others in becoming more self-aware. And I get it. It's going to take practice because we're used to interrupting, dismissing, and rushing to fix the problem. And it's going to take time to break these negative habits. Listen, active listening isn't about knowing what to say or having all the answers. It's about having the mindfulness and humility to sit with discomfort sometimes and acknowledge that you don't have the right answers. So let me give you four quick things and I'll be done that you can apply that can move you towards regaining your hearing. I just want to prepare you for some of those deep conversations that are going to be held this holiday season as you gather with friends and family. Number one, be aware. Notice when you judge, analyze, state your opinion, change the subject, drift off, tell your side of the story, 
offer advice, agree or disagree. I want you to be aware of your internal processes. What's driving it? What's your why behind your need or desire to interject? Number two, be present. I want you to give your undivided attention. Listening tells the speaker that you care about what's being said. Show the speaker that you're actively engaged in receiving the message that they're trying to send and resist the urge to make comments or judge what's being said. Number three, be attentive. You want to be able to to repeat back to a speaker what they've communicated with a minimum interruption. Show that you really understand what's being said, and if you don't, express that. Then number four, and finally, be positive. The speaker is communicating something that they care about. So in what they are saying, you need to look for the underlying needs or values that they're seeking to express. What is it that they really want, and why is that important to them? And even if their approach with you has been in the form of criticism, don't readily dismiss it. I've come to discover that sometimes the criticism is really a real desire to create a greater connection. You can get your hearing back. We've just got to relearn how to actually hear people. Listen, Santita, it is the holiday season, and you mentioned Hanukkah as that kicked off yesterday. Let me just give a very quick insight uh, for those who have heard about Hanukkah but unfamiliar with it. It's simply the Jewish eight-day wintertime festival of lights celebrated with the nightly menorah lighting, lighting, uh, some special prayers, and some good fried food. (laughs) It, It celebrates the rededication of the Holy Temple. And so as we move through this holiday season, I want us to be mindful that a lot of people are celebrating a lot of different things. So let's be sensitive uh, to people's traditions, their upbringing, and uh, take the time to learn about something that you may not practice in your life, but can have elements that can actually benefit your life and your future. Mm. You know, I love how uh, so their holidays are directly connected to God. Oh, yes. You know, and that God is so holy, they dare not utter God's name. And I really, 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 really appreciate that. I think that that is so, that is a wonderful lesson that we can take from our Jewish brothers and sisters. I mean, it's, it is, because, I mean, God is so holy, just so holy, you dare not utter God's name. You, You just, you can't do it. How dare you? I just, I love that. I just think it's something that we can, we can learn. You know, we can we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot. You know, and I'm just hoping that all of our brothers and sisters of of the Jewish faith will have a blessed, blessed Hanukkah. Um, and I hope that Christians, Pastor, will really take this very, very seriously. Take Christmas seriously and treat it as the holy holiday that it is. It's it's become secularized. And um, now we don't even have Jesus stories anymore on television. We don't mention Jesus, and you're apologetic about saying Merry Christmas, and I don't do that. I -hmm. celebrate everybody's faith traditions and their expressions, and I expect you to respect mine. That's right. We can't push Jesus under the bus in this time. Um, And I hope that everyone will have a Christmas celebration where Jesus would be welcome. 
Think about That's that. It. My parents used to say that all the time. <laughs> and now it makes more sense more than ever. What are you going to be talking about on Facebook this afternoon? I'm going to be talking about how to help your friends that are dealing with depression. Hmm. A lot of us have people that are close to us who are really suffering, and we really don't know what to say or how to serve or come alongside them during their time of pain. So I want to help us understand what not to say and what to say and what to do to really support people that might be struggling. Mm, why now? Why did you want to have that discussion now? Because to well, me, this is also part of health. Mental health is part of your yes. overall physical health. Because if your yes. mental health is not right, you can put a stop on your on your physical health. People, right. you know, take these permanent, these temporary measures and that become very, very, you know, temporary problems. Permanent solutions, suicide is just never the answer. But this is when people do that. Yes. Yeah, this, we say happy holidays, but it's not happy for everybody. There's a lot of unprocessed grief that people are dealing with. And I want us to just really be sensitive to that during this time. And then, of course, we have the tragic transition of life of young man, B.J. Twitch, that happened just a week ago. And so, of course, that's heightened people's sensitivity uh, to this thing called suicide. So I just want people to be adequately prepared so they won't say the wrong thing at the wrong time. That could really push somebody over the edge. You know, because I have to tell you, I'm thinking of several friends, three of them, who I'm not going to be able to call during this holiday season. And um, I'm calling their parents instead because we we've all been, you know, friends who mm-hmm. just from college on, we just we've been together and um, I've lost yes. them over the past year. And oh, we I have to tell you, it's been hard. It's been yes. hard. But, you know, I'm just waiting, waiting. I mean, I'm kind of here. I laugh about the things that we experienced. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just I, I ask God to get me into a place where I will mourn their loss less and celebrate their lives and all the wonderful times that we had more. That's it. You know. God bless you. Where can we find you this afternoon and at what time? Jump on Facebook under my name, Stephen Thurston. That's Stephen with a PH. 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. You'll find me there. I look forward to seeing everybody. Gotta get your book. Get to my website. Can we get it? StephenJThurston.com, Stephen with the PH, StephenJThurston.com. It'll be right there once you log on to the website. All right, everybody. You got to get Stephen J. Thurston's book. And we just thank God for you. I'm glad California is going to get a treat as you go out there and preach this weekend. Traveling rates and mercies to you. And Merry thank Christmas you. to you and that beautiful family. Saw Pastor Meeks yesterday. Love him, love him, awesome. love him. And love your mom and daddy. Love him. First Lady Jamel Meeks. Love them all. And a shout out to my pastor. That's right, a Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church. Although, you know, it's hard, but Stephen's one of my pastors, too. (laughs) Pastor Sharp and his life, First Lady Bree. Wedding anniversaries. My soror sending you much love, girl. (laughs) Back with more. (laughs) I love her. (laughs) Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show. Let's talk about President Trump, former President Trump. Something historic happened. He has a criminal referral to the Justice Department. Will he, will the Justice Department pick this up and indict him? That's when he can go to jail. What do you think, everybody? Call me at 773-763-9278. Back in just a minute. Love you, Pastor Thurston.
This is the Santita Jackson Show. everybody welcome to the santita jackson show in the next hour of course we're going to have john nichols talking about the christmas truce that the british and german soldiers called during the first world war 1914 they refused to shoot each other on christmas day they sang silent night to each other you've got to hear this story john nichols is going to tell us this story and why many of the leaders in the church today are calling for the same to happen in ukraine Reverend Jesse Jackson, Reverend Dr. William Barber, Dr. Cornell West, and people like that. Not the Pope, though. But, you know, I digress. Everybody, it's great to be with you today. The January 6th panel has spoken. The House Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol, upending or attempting to upend the peaceful transfer of power, the uh, the election the certification of the election of Vice President Kamala Harris and President uh, Joe Biden. Well, they accused former President Donald Trump yesterday of inciting insurrection, conspiracy to to defraud the United States, obstruction of an act of Congress, and one other federal crime as as it referred him to the Justice Department for potential prosecution. Now, The prosecution by the Justice Department would send him to jail if he were indicted and if he were found guilty. What do you think about that, everybody? What do you think about that? What are the political consequences? What's behind all of this? What's behind all of this? I mean, do is this something that you expected? Did you expect them to go past him? Or did you expect them to do just what they have done, which is refer him to the Justice Department for criminal prosecution. Wow. This has never happened before. And it is it's a tremendous development. It really is. So I want to know what your thoughts are. Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. What do you think would be the political fallout? Because for all of the discussion, Attorney C.K. Hoffler, I almost called you Atty. But that's our joke. Of course, the legal analyst, <laughs> the legal analyst on Court TV, Chair of Rainbow Push, and the past president of the National Bar Association, the largest and oldest black bar association in the world, and the brilliant uh, chair of the Transformative Justice Coalition, civil rights lawyer, and really one of the nation's leading voting rights advocates and lawyers, uh, Daryl Jones. Wow. I mean, were you, what did you, what do you think of, of this uh, criminal referral? What does this mean, Attorney C.K. Hoffler? It's historic in so many ways it's never happened. I can't say that I'm surprised that the committee has done this. I, I, I can't say that I am. I, I felt that the evidence, and I followed pretty closely the hearings and all the evidence that was laid. And early on, it was apparent to me that the president had violated the law and that had violated the law so much that his conduct, based on the evidence, I'm not saying based on speculation, based on the evidence, evidence meaning testimony, documents, 
and I, I think it's important for people to understand the difference between um, evidence in, in a, when you're under oath, when you testify, it's whatever you speak in court when you're under oath. It can be written documentation. Um, it can come out in various ways. And for this committee, they analyze thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of documents. They listen to people's testimony, sworn testimony under oath. They, of course, look at the laws um, and all of that. And the findings, their findings were so meticulously assembled that I was not surprised at all. I was stunned at this moment in history that we find ourselves here, that there was a sitting president that would knowingly, intentionally violate the laws and commit so many crimes. I mean, that is really what it is. So that, it didn't surprise me. I recognize the historic moment. What is, for me, a question for us to discuss is what will the Justice Department do? I think earlier on, Santina, on some of your shows, we discussed, I think I, I, I said the, the committee, the January 6th committee, will hand the Justice Department a gift and tie it up in a bow with mm. all the evidence that they are amassing and assembling. And this is not something I think people need to understand that anyone wants to do. You don't ever want to be in a position of even finding, discovering that a sitting president has, has engaged in such terrible, terrible misconduct, violation of the law, and criminal activity. You, you, you never want to know that. You never want to see that. You never want to experience that. But you also never want to experience the events of January 6th, which almost toppled this nation. So while it's historic, while it's, it's significant, while it's very meaningful, we never want to have another January 6th, which was a, a, a fairly almost successful coup d'etat. It was a coup. It just didn't succeed completely. And so, Santita, the question for me is, what is Justice Garland going to do? I think that he is poised, poised, the Justice Department is poised to bring um, an indictment. I think they're poised. That, you know, they're special prosecutors, I'm sure, that are, they, they knew because they've been watching what we've been watching. You don't really have to be a lawyer to understand that this, these are serious, the evidence that was unfolding was very, very serious. So I think they have been positioning to receive this information. What Mayor Garland will do is an open question. He recognizes, as we all do, the political fallout and what could happen to a divided country if a former sitting president, a former president, um, were to be indicted and someone who's announced that he wants to run for the presidency. He recognizes what that can mean for an already divided country, but on the other, on the other hand, he also recognizes what his duties are as the, the, the top law enforcement lawyer in the U.S. government. And what his duties could be, some would argue should be, would be to indict based on the mountain of evidence. Hmm. So what is he going to do? That's an open question. Hmm. You know, we've got some callers. You know, uh, well, Attorney Jones, uh, your thoughts? 
Well, you know, good morning, Santita and CK. And, and let me start by, again, uh, congratulating and just really a standing ovation for Congressman Benny Thompson, because he has just done an outstanding job leading this January 6th uh, committee uh, with regards to this delicate issue in terms of uh, navigating the political waters. He's, he's, he's done, I think, a nonpartisan job. I think it's all been fact backed uh, with regards to the proceedings and everything has just been, you know, just laid out for the American people uh, and for the Department of Judges, uh, Justice better than anything uh, that I've ever seen come from Congress. He alone and that committee alone has done a lot to restore the faith uh, that many Americans have in Congress and the ability to get things done uh, in, in a very uh, a nonpartisan fashion, as well as a very comprehensive fashion. So uh, kudos to Congressman Benny Thompson for, for that accomplishment. Now, now I, I pivot from there and I go, now the ball is in DOJ's court. You know, they've done this fact-backed uh, research. They have all the documentation. They have everything uh, that uh, they could possibly want from the Department of Justice to make a determination as to whether or not to carry through uh, with any or all uh, of the charges that have been referred to the Department of Justice uh, and to uh, Merrick Garland and Jack Smith. And what becomes interesting now, I think, Santita, is that, you know, we've said before on the show that uh, it was going to get to the position where the integrity of the Department of Justice is going to be at hand. And that's where I think we are. We are. You know, the American people have been exposed uh, to all of the things that uh, that that the former President Trump and his colleagues uh, were up to, all the shenanigans that they were pulling, the threats that were brought uh, to the members of Congress that were on the floor and to our country. And so the question becomes, what would the Department of Justice do? And in answering that question, one of the things in, uh, that, you know, that differs from what uh, Congressman Benny Thompson and the committee did is the DOJ has to look at what can they prove in court. It's one thing to have all the facts that are out there, but the, qu- the question becomes, what can they prove in court? What what of these allegations can they prove? What of these factual pieces can they actually present in a way that would be admissible uh, in a court of law? And that's going to be the determinant factor as to the charges that they bring. I believe that they really, uh, for the integrity of DOJ, for the restoration and the rebuilding of the uh, credibility of many of the USS uh, institutions, including uh, the Supreme Court, it's important that they bring the charges, that they follow through. But now all of us here sitting in the country have had the opportunity to see from this body, from this, uh, from the general uh, January 6th panel of the body, the information of what has actually occurred. And now uh, it, it would be, I think, uh, you know, just you know, disappointing is, 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 is such a light word, but it would be so disheartening for DOJ to not follow through on what it should do and having the indictments uh, go in place against the former president and his colleagues and anyone else that's been involved in this uh, in this charade and, and this you know insurrection that was attempted in our, in our country so you know that would be my piece of where we are right now is that the DOJ, you know, their integrity is at issue. It's time for them to go ahead and file the uh, file the indictment against them. And, and let's get this moving. Let's you know, if it's going to be a jury trial. Let them start picking the jury. Dwight McKee, your thoughts, because I'm sure you're looking at this also through a political lens. Real politique is a very real thing. Real politics. Well, uh 
crime is political and, and who gets indicted is always political, Santita. Uh, I, I think what will happen is a couple of things. One is I think he may get indicted with one or two other lesser charges that he can then negotiate with his lawyers and let him pay a fine and keep moving on uh, on that. I think that if he tries, if they do a trial, I think what happens with the trial is because indictment is one thing, uh, trying him is another, as you run into the same situation as you ran into with impeachment, is that it'd be hard to find 12 citizens, six of whom were not Trumpites or not didn't vote for Trump in a divided society. And so it'd be hard to get a conviction because it's going to be hard to find 12 people who are not anti-Trump or find 12 people, six of whom are not pro-Trump. Uh, and so it would be the same situation, I think, if they go to trial that happened when they tried to get an indictment. The other thing, danger you run, is that if he is indicted and convicted and jailed, like a lot of people want him to be, is all you have to do is look at what's happening in Peru right now to see where that can go. It's the exact same situation. Down in Peru, there's a situation where the former president has been indicted and put in jail, and the whole country is riding. The whole, they're on the brink of a civil war in Peru for that reason, and it's exactly the same situation. Because there are a lot of Americans, quote-unquote, and patriots, quote-unquote, will see this as a situation where this is vindictive and it is a pretext to stop him from running again because they will believe that there's a fear that he can run and win. And so I think that uh, they're going to measure that. I think the Justice Department is part of you know, government in the system and the society, and they have to look at all pending situations. And I think that they will play a role. I mean, when you look at a society where Pelosi's husband just got beat up and the governor of Michigan was at risk of being kidnapped and uh January 6th, and they will look at all these real factors and all of these threats and figure out if it's worth it, if if the, the return on locking one man up is worth being that kind of threat to the whole society. All of that will come into play. What do you think, everybody? 773-763-9278. 773-763-9278. No matter how absurd you thought the NFT cards were, they did sell out quickly. There's something to be said for that. Reverend Leon, how are you? This is Jackson in Chicago. How are you, ma'am? How are you? Where are you, Leon? I'm in uh, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. I'm down oh. south. I used to be up north in your neck of the woods. Oh, my friends, Jerry and Catrice Barnes were from Rocky Mountain. And Miss Flack, Roberta Flack, I know a lot of good people from Rocky Mountain, from those parts. And I was born in the Big G. Yeah, in Greensboro. in the city. Um, <laughs> 1962, as a matter of fact, 
before he did I Have a Dream uh, in, in Georgia. So mm. this is a very historical city and, and definitely on the move. Even though I'm a Chicagoan, went to Dealer's Island in Chicago on 35th Street in Wabash. Grew up on the South Side. Born in Detroit, FIA. So, hey, I'm in the heart of the city. And, and I was there during the daily time. And then uh, Miss Jane Byrne and, and my good friend uh, Dennis W. Archer, a frat brother of mine. Yes. And so I'm a good family with Chicago. Of course, your father, Reverend Jesse Jackson. Uh, I've come on to you all, uh, lifestyle, and I've come to learn my city. But business at hand, um, one thing about being a teacher, and, and I talk to my kids all the time, is, is the justice system, because I want to keep them out of the jail, let them look at the jail from the outside and not from the inside looking out. But they have to understand the political system as it is now. Many of the kids ask, what could happen to a president in jail? I says, I don't know if there's a way of doing it that way, but it is a way of correcting an error. This is an error, but it's a deliberate error, meaning it was planned. It answered all five questions of mine, who, what, when, where, why, and how. And I think the committee pulled those answers out. And now the main Department of Justice have to take those answers and, and put it into play. It's a piece of history that must take place. We have to change the paradigm. It never happened before. This shouldn't be. This All that has to go away and put, this did happen. It did occur. It changed the life of many people and some lost lives. So our educational system has to read this in politics and civics classes and places like that as this is documented. We can document bad stuff. We need to document all the stuff. But the kids mm. need to read it to learn. And the only way we're going to do it is to make sure it's processed. You can't slap it on the hand like a cincture. That will not happen. It has to be showed it occurred, prevent it from happening ever again in our lifetime, and to make sure that it's in documents so it can be read for generations to follow. So you expect it to be indicted? You If it was any okay. other person, would they not be indicted? And that's my thought. Why is it an exception? He's not above the law. Or if it was a female president, well, you know, not some above people, the law. Sadly, some people are. I mean, because you have these war criminals. I mean, there are places in the world where, say, Henry Kissinger cannot go, George W. Bush cannot go, because they are considered to be war criminals. You know, all of these things are very political. But I hear you. I'm just, you know, and I'm, I'm it's, and so I'm glad to be hearing, uh, to have the opportunity to hear you this morning. And I want I want to hear from I want to hear from everybody, including Reverend Leon down there in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. What's your final word, Pastor Leon? My prayers. Thanks. Thanks for a Christmas gift we didn't want. That's called cold air from the Hawk out of Chicago. I wish I can get Lural Spirit to fly right back to Chicago from North Carolina, or we call it North Kakalaki at times. Uh, we, we like to keep warm down here, but oh, it's man. okay. We share y'all cold it's- in Chicago. Darling, it's cold outside here, but it's all right. You put it. You put some some warm coals in my heart today, and I thank you for that. Sending you much love, Reverend Leon, calling from Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Pam from the west side of Chicago, the best side of Chicago. How you doing, Pam? Merry Christmas. Good morning, Santita, and good morning to the guests. Uh, I just want to say Donald Trump um, has earned his right to have a day in court. Uh, the U.S. Department of Justice should use all of its resources to do so. 
Uh, now, I heard, I think, one of the, your guests state that um, the Donald Trump, they might not give him uh, his ju- They might not convict him jurors uh, because they don't feel he uh, deserves it. However, I believe he does. And Santita, I'm not going to live in the spirit of fear of what the other side might do mm-hmm. because um, Donald Trump has earned this. He worked hard. To have this, so we're asking: Should he be indicted? My answer is yes. No, not should, but will. I'm sorry, because will. the referral oh, I is. The... He will. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, I believe he will, and then I believe the DOJ will use its resources to subpoena those testimonies that the uh, January 6th committee could not get, and if um, this doesn't happen, then. It would seem that uh, someone like a president, former president, would be above the law. And I could foresee this happening again. Um, So my concern is, yeah, I'm very passionate about this. If Donald Trump does not go to prison, then let everybody else out. And that's my true feeling. After all the criminality, let him out. And this is not personal or hating Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. But I do... I recognize that the danger he represents, and that's not to say he's not the only leader, Santita, that represents this danger, but he will attempt to do this again. Donald Trump and his cohorts did this. You know, they thought it out. They thought, what if they get caught? Pam, you're absolutely right. But you know what what bothers me about all of this? We have forgotten what happened in 2000 in Florida. You remember the Brooks Brothers riots, which to me were, they were frightening. Um, you had these white kids, young white Republicans who had on their Brooks Brothers and their Lily Pulitzers and their little fabulous preppy, preppy wear. Mm-hmm. And they threatened the people who were counting the votes, the hanging chads and whatnot. And to sure. see Liz Cheney today talk about the threat to the democracy, she, her father and George W. Bush upended it. They did do that. They did that, and they took it to the Supreme Court, Pam. They took it to the Supreme Court. That was so dangerous. They set such a dangerous precedent. They did that. And we have pushed that into the recesses of history, and I think that that is dangerous. I really do. It I- just it, That bothers me. That we, you know, that we look at that. I mean, because, you know, so much of our personal animus has been transferred to Donald Trump. And George W. Bush, hey, I've met him many times. He is a really nice guy. He's, he's, he's someone you can't like. You cannot, you cannot not like him. You, I mean, you can't, you can't, you cannot, you cannot not like him because he's just a good guy. I mean, he's just a really fun, all of that. But when I think of what they did with his brother and with his father, former head of the CIA, former president, to upend the election, oh, my gosh. But all of that's been, it's been forgotten. I've got 30 seconds for you, Pam. Well, what I can add to that, perhaps, Santita, had we dealt with that situation and imprisoned those that needed to be imprisoned back then, perhaps. We didn't want to. You you know what happened, Pam? I'm just saying, maybe we we pulled out a scandal on Reverend Jesse Jackson. I'm just I'm telling you what happened. Remember, in real time. And he became the conversation. 
instead of being able to lead a march on Tallahassee to demand the full counting of the votes, which ultimately Al Gore won. Sure. So now the child that everybody scandalized is is a grown woman who is a graduate of Spelman and is a functioning adult doing great things. Sure. We have got a million plus dead Iraqis on their watch. We have a Supreme Court that affirmed the theft of an election and no one says a thing. I'm, I'm not saying that the D- Department of Justice shouldn't do their job, but I'm like... Y'all, have we, for- <laughs> have we forgotten, Pam? Pam, I'm going to let you close this out. 30 seconds, sweetie. Thank you. And I understand all of the history that you have spoke about. And it's true, Santita. My thought on that is perhaps had we dealt with those issues yeah. in the way of the criminality, we might not be dealing with a Trump issue now. That's just yeah. my thinking on that. But when we let things go, let them bypass. Don't hold people accountable. And I love Benny Thomas, Representative Thomas said it correct, accountability. He has to be held accountable. And I think um, an indictment and uh, going to a prison, really, whatever that looks like, is an indictment. Mm. And is accountability. Thank you. Well, you know, I think that with everybody. And I just I hope that we will be vigilant, everybody. That is the price of liberty. Back with more of the Santita Jackson show in just a minute. Want to get your calls about the criminal referral uh, of the January 6th committee to the Department of Justice. Will will they indict former President Trump? What's going to happen, everybody? Mm. And John Nichols is going to talk about the Christmas truce during the First World War. And British soldiers refused to shoot each other for Christmas. And the truth lasted until January. <laughs> Let's talk about it on the Santita Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's a joy to be with you today, Tuesday, December 20th, 2022, just a few days before Christmas. Happy Hanukkah to our Jewish brothers and sisters, the Festival of Lights. Festival of Lights, they saw God give them a miracle. They had like a, uh, just a, this, it's just, a, I just, I love what the Jewish people do as they connect all of these holidays to God and their gratitude. They show you the miracles, the miracles, the miracles that God uh, can perform in your life. And please, everybody, uh, study the Festival of Lights. It could be a miracle in your life, too. You don't even have to be a believer uh, to see the goodness of the universe as manifested through this wonderful holiday. Happy Hanukkah, everybody. And Merry Christmas to all my brothers and sisters of the Christian faith and those of you who are not of any faith or who are not of the Christian faith. I pray that the spirit of Christmas will be with you in this most holy and high season. I'm Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Let's get to some of these headlines as we talk about Trump. That's right, Trump. And I think I got a carryover caller from yesterday as we talked about what happened with Autumn Manahan 
And uh, we are working uh, CK on this case and attorney Daryl Jones and attorney Mark Fancher, Dwight McKee, uh, this young would-be black valedictorian of her high school class who was arrested for responding to a white boy who kept calling her the N-word. And I was reprimanded yesterday by the station for spelling the N-word. But, you know, many African-Americans, I have to say this, I know, um, are offended by the sanitization of the term. Because when we hear that word, it is frightening to us. We know that we need to leave the room. We know that something violent can ensue. And so, you know, there's a whole lot of sanitizing of our history that we've got to stop. We've got to stop. And so I was speaking on your behalf, but I, for people who might have been offended, and certainly the FCC, my apologies. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. You know what I mean? All right, everybody. In the NFL, the Packers 24, the Rams 12. And in the NBA, the Timberwolves 116, the Mavericks 106. The Bulls will be playing the Heat tonight in the NHL, both of the Chicago and uh, and Minneapolis teams they got a little bit of rest. Gas prices are falling on average to three twelve, three twelve a gallon. I'm not seeing it on the south side, but I'm taking AAA at their word, everybody. Uh, the World Cup champion Argentina's, well, guess what? The Argentinian people have declared this a national holiday. Good for them. They have not won this cup since 1986. Good, good, good for them. More than 25 million people across much of the United States. The northern, the northwestern and central of the United States put Chicago in that are under wind chill alerts. Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, most of Minnesota, everybody, please look out for people who are on these streets. Guide them to a, a warming center, a library, a fire station, a police station, not so that they can be arrested, but so that they can be warm, a homeless shelter. No one should be out in this cold right now. Sending much love to you in Atlanta, CK, and Houston, and Orlando. You're included on that list. And honey, if you seen this coat that CK was wearing yesterday. My girl is ready for the ready for the heat and ready for the cold. She looked fabulous. Love it, love it, love it. Chief Justice John Roberts on Monday put on a temporary put on, put a temporary hold on the termination of a controversial Trump era immigration policy known as Title 42 that was set to end tomorrow in a brief order signaling that the court wants to act quickly. If indeed they might not hear, they might even hear this case. Uh, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, asked the Biden administration to respond by tonight to an emergency appeal filed by several Republican-led states seeking to keep the policy in place to slow an expected increase in migrant crossings. Just in time for the holidays, Dems may embrace a GOP plan to boot millions off of Medicaid and Senate majority minority leader Mitch McConnell has hailing the omnibus bill that funds the whole government. He says it's a strong outcome. It just excludes poverty cutting child tax credit, which pulled millions of children out of Poverty, And, you know, a lot of countries are apologizing for slavery. Well, uh, the blacks in the Netherlands don't feel too kindly about this. In fact, they are dismissing the Dutch slavery apology, as they called it, a neo-colonial belch. I did that one for you, C.K. Hoffler and Mark Fancher and Dwight McKee and and Daryl Jones. A neo-colonial belch. Who says that? People who 
who fired up and can't take no more. Uh, you know what? I have a caller before we get back into uh, the Trump criminal referral from the January 6th committee to the Department of Justice. I believe we have like a carryover from yesterday as we talked about the Autumn Manhattan case and how this young black student, this young lady who's full of so much life, uh, driven to the point of suicide because they basically they did not punish the boy who called her the N-word. They punished her and put her in school jail where she had to put on the uniform of the imprisoned. Uh, board operator, let's pull up my let's pull up my caller. Hi. Hello. Hi, hi. Do you want to give me your name? My name's Patricia. Miss Patricia, how you doing? I I'm I'm uh I'm really not too well. I've been under the weather, but that's not the point. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I God was bless you. Uh, looking at the news, and uh, I heard about this ten-year-old that um, supposedly had, you know, shot his mother because she went getting some earphones or something, mm. um, uh, something from Amazon, and he supposed to got a key and got the gun and shot her. But anyway, he's charged as an adult. Uh, in Wisconsin, and uh, I'm saying, well, his brain is not even half finished. And I, and I know murder is, you know, killing someone is hideous. Yes. I understand that, but he's 10. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, his brain is not finished, and he was taken to his grandparents' house, and uh, he was saying, well, you know, I miss my mom, but uh, I wanted my, I think it was earphone. And I haven't heard much about it uh, at all. I listened to you yesterday, and it hit me that sometimes things come up and we just take it for granted that everyone hears it. And Mm -hmm. on the, um, you know, I started researching yesterday to see what happened to him, Mm -hmm. and um, he's still in jail, $50,000 bond. They're trying to get it to 100. They say, no, this is a hideous crime, but he's 10. You know, just well, think about it when you was 10. Well, let me you ask know, you this. Well, you know, I, I took life very seriously at 10. What what would you have, just very quickly, because I've got to bring, bring, um, mm-hmm. bring in my guest on this topic. But my board right. operator said you were so passionate that we wanted to hear from you today. What do you think should be done with this boy who killed his mother? Well, you know, I think that is horrible. It is, well, sure. That anyone killed anyone. Okay, but if it's scientific proof that your brain is not finished, if you're a male to 25, 26 Mm -hmm. and, you know, women a little later, then how in the world can you be held responsible? Or did he really? Is this something that, you know, okay, I'm going to let a minor do this and this is going to cover me up and because nothing's going to happen to him or her? You know, we don't know, but, but just say that is true. You know, I'm a Mm -hmm. mom. You know, I got relatives that I love more than air. Okay? Someone, and and I've had two relatives murdered. Sure. I I, I would be so distraught, you know, but he's 10. Okay. Well, you know what? You know, they... Let me let me let let me let the panel very quickly respond to you, just very very quickly, because I had to bring on. Well, let me start with you, Mark Fancher. Yes, yes. I, mean, I wasn't Mark, trying to interrupt your show. You no, know, no, 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 no. But my board operator was concerned that she said you were so passionate 
And I know what we I know that the show yesterday aroused a lot of passions. And so just very quickly, Mark Fancher, why don't you respond? Well, I don't have a lot to say about this. It's not an area that I focus on, but I do know that the Supreme Court has been very concerned about juvenile life without parole and ruled in a way that took into account some of the things that that the caller is referencing in terms of brain development and the fact that juveniles are not fully capable of forming the requisite intent uh, sometimes for the the, the homicides that, that they mm-hmm. may commit. But um, beyond that, I, I don't really know how uh, the individual courts are necessarily dealing with crimes of this kind. Mm. Ms. Mm. Patricia, I'm going to look and into I, this I would... case. I'm going to look into it. And so, you know, when, when we return um, after the holiday, I, I'm going to look into it. Okay, because it's because I, we I also really appreciate that. And let, and let me that. say one more thing. I know you got to no, get no, to no. Your I'm gonna, I gotta run. I gotta run, Miss Patricia. I gotta run. But you know what? Why don't you hold? And let my board operator get your information. But you know, Mark Fancher. You know, everybody's talking about President Trump, former President Trump, and this criminal referral. What does it say to you? And do you think that he's going to be indicted by the Department of Justice? Well, it's really hard to say. You know, I, I don't know uh, to what extent Merrick Garland's um, Justice Department has uh, acted in a way that's consistent with the way that uh, the Justice Department uh, has acted in in, uh, in recent periods. Uh, and the attitude has frequently been one that you find sometimes even among private practitioners and local prosecutors where cases are not brought unless they're absolutely certain that they will, uh, you know, succeed, unless they're going to get a victory. It, it, it doesn't always matter uh, whether uh, the case is one that's legally sound, uh, whether the evidence is there to sustain uh, a, a favorable verdict, if a jury chooses to bring one back. Uh, but it's a question of whether they're actually going to succeed in it. Uh, and sometimes reluctance to bring charges uh, may stem from concerns about the judge uh, that might the case might be assigned to and whether they would respond favorably to a prosecution. Uh, there may be concerns about how a jury would react. And uh, it, it is a situation that I've been concerned about, uh, particularly in connection with cases involving uh, police misconduct. Uh, where there have been really solid cases uh, that the Justice Department has been presented with, but a reluctance to actually uh, prosecute them for federal civil rights uh, violations, criminal civil rights violations, because of a reluctance uh, to do anything that's going to result in anything less than a victory. Uh, So to the extent that uh, the Justice Department has been uh, conducting an extensive investigation, presumably for an extended period of time, that may be their mindset here. And the fact that uh, there has been this referral from Congress uh, may not necessarily suggest to the Justice Department that uh, this is uh, the signal to go ahead and prosecute. I think that they're going to have to make up their own minds about whether uh, it's something that they want to do, regardless of the sentiments of the Congress. Well, you know, you're in an area where, you know, militias are, quite frankly, they've been quite prominent and active. What do you think the fallout will be? Because everybody, uh, many people feel that uh, Donald Trump is being treated unfairly. 
and that he's not guilty of insurrection. Uh, and I mean, and now there's discussion in, in this Bloomberg article that he has risked a ban from elected office, everybody. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment states that no one can, quote, hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any other state, close quote, if they took an oath to support the Constitution and then, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, close quote. Now, of course, that was ratified in 1868 in the post-Civil War period. Uh, what about that? Because it just seems like there's a lot of political activity on on all sides, Mark Fancher. Yeah, that 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 could trigger uh, you know a mass reaction. I know, especially here in Michigan. Uh, you know what what I don't know that many people are aware of is the extent to which uh, many people on a mass level have become psychotic. Uh, you know, with respect mm. to Trump. I mean, it, it, it's it's really a sickness. Uh, that's brought on, I believe, by uh, by panic and fear over a sustained period of time, an extended period of time. Uh, they really are desperately afraid of losing uh, their white privilege, uh, their position within the society, uh, because of imagined threats that are posed by others. Uh, it's not just people of color, but others, whether it's the LGBTQ community or immigrants or, you know, the, the, the wrong type of immigrants, immigrants from their perspective, uh, you know, just all kinds of things that, that to them appear uh, to threaten uh, the way of life that they have become accustomed to and that they've taken for granted in terms of white people always, white workers in particular always, if not having privilege, at least having the opportunity for upward mobility. And uh, these threats, uh, the, this panic and this fear is fed by demagogues like Donald Trump, and it has caused many people to just snap. And uh, the devotion that they have to Donald Trump is, is nothing less uh, than irrational. Uh, I was driving down uh, Highway 94 last week, and there was a pickup truck with an elderly white gentleman driving it, and all over his truck were plastered signs that said simply, I love Donald Trump. Mm. And uh, it's, it's not just that they, they have this passionate love for this man, but they have the capacity to become violent about it. Uh, you know, many may or may not know that uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, when the militia types that you described uh, and others who are not part of formal militias, but who are just heavily armed, uh, were disturbed by policies of our, our current governor concerning uh, COVID restrictions. Uh, they actually invaded the state capitol, armed, uh, fully armed. And unlike in Washington, where there was an attempt to prevent their entry uh, into the capitol on January 6th, uh, these people were the, the security people basically just opened the doors to them and let them walk in and to patrol the hallways with their rifles and their guns and their high-powered uh, weaponry. Uh, and certainly the black legislators were terrified, uh, but nothing was done. And when questioned about it, uh, they were just told that, well, they have, you know, Second Amendment rights. Uh, so that's the culture in this state. And so if, uh, if, if, if not only the people who are just ordinary people uh, have that mentality, but, but also people in official positions who should be keeping them under control, law enforcement, security people, uh, they have it too, then we've got a real dangerous situation. 
And if they are angered too much by anything that the Justice Department might do, then I think we all need to hold on and get ready for a very bumpy ride. Well, you know, Dwight, you've been saying that. You, you've been saying that the yeah. real politics of this, there's that. Oh, absolutely. And it's real, too. I mean, it, it's some of these people have been are, uh, preparing for this day for years and years and years. They, every weekend they go target practices. And in their minds, they're protecting the government, protecting the people from the government. And so um, it's a very real threat. And they are uh, uh, psychotic. He's right about that. They're psychotic about Donald Trump. And they really feel like he is a savior of white civilization. And those who are out to get him are not just out to get him. They're out to, you know, to try to take the planet from them. And it's been their divine right from God to have the planet. And they have a divine mission to protect the planet from everybody else. And so it's, it's very complicated, but it's very real. And you you run the risk of invoking all of those di- di- dynamics when you talk about arresting a Donald Trump. Mm, you know what? I literally have one minute for you, C.K., and one minute for you, Attorney Daryl Jones. One minute, C.K., go. Well, you know, I just think that with a country, mm. with our country being so divided, Cynthia, so divided, and with the mounting evidence that exists, um, Daryl Jones made that some point as a lawyer. It depends on what the Justice Department can prove. Mm-hmm. But they've got the evidence. And I do think that Merrick Garland is going to do something. I do think without a question. So we have to brace ourselves because we should never let January 6th happen again. They will, those forces will prevail another time. And that's what we need to be concerned about. Be vigilant. Attorney Daryl Jones? I'm with C.K. Hoffler on this one, Santita, you know, and I'm with uh, Dwight as well. I think there comes a time where, you know, you know you're going to kick the beehive and you got to be ready for the response. And it's time to kick the beehive because justice requires it. That's where I stand on it, Santita. Well, this is a whole lot, everybody. I want to know what you're thinking. But you know what? Let's get into the Christmas spirit. Let's talk about this Christmas truce. C.K. and and Attorney Jones and Attorney Fancher and uh, and Dwight McKee. Did you know that during the First World War, British and German soldiers refused to shoot each other on Christmas Day, and that that Christmas truce lasted until January, until they got orders from their higher ups to resume shooting. If you left it to the soldiers, they would not have killed any more persons. They started talking to each other, playing with each other, using their helmets as soccer balls. Oh, boy. And so Dr. Cornell West, Reverend Dr. William Barber, Reverend Jesse Jackson, and other leading theologian pastors and and activists from the church have said, Ukraine, that needs to happen there. We need a Christmas truce in Ukraine. NATO, United States, yes. And Ukraine and Russia... Drop your weapons, if only for Christmas Day. Let's talk with John Nichols about it on the Santita Jackson Show back in just a minute. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. 
This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, you know it's the bottom of the hour on Tuesday, so you know what time it is. It's John Nichols time, national correspondent for The Nation magazine. Always so excited to have him here. Just from the bottom of my heart, I just have to let him know just how much I love him and how much I appreciate his support. When I started this show, I said, John, I'd like to try a little something here. You know, just, you know, maybe have a a segment with you, dare I say, I have a segment with you, with with you of all people. And he said, absolutely, Santito, let's just work out the day. I love you, John. And, uh, you know, and love I would you. and only you would bring this story of this Christmas truce to us at this time and um, really reminding us of what we need to be looking at. For Christmas, just in 1914, the World War, World War One, stopped for Christmas. Talk to us about that. Why did these soldiers decide to stop shooting each other for Christmas? What happened? Well, for all the right reasons, I think. Uh, look, let's let's begin with the basic context here. Um, we're often told that wars are unstoppable once they begin. Uh, nothing can prevent them from going forward. And and too often that's true because too often we focus on on leaders and generals and presidents and prime ministers and such. Uh, and what we fail to recognize is there are often wars that the people don't want to fight. World War One was such a war. It was a, it was a terrible war um, fought with uh, at, at the intersection of uh military strategies from the past and the present. And so you had trench warfare, people fighting, you know, literally with bayonets against one another. At the same time, you had chemical weapons. Um, And so massive death uh, and massive destruction. And the thing was that most people had very little idea why they were fighting, because it was really a battle between, you know, a, a German Kaiser and a British king and, uh, and, over, you know, boundaries and borderlines, but but not much sense of real moral mission or moral values. Very different than World War II. Um, and so in 1914, you had, you know, the, the, the front where uh, British soldiers were all arrayed along, you know, dozens of miles um, and were in trenches. And then just hundreds of feet away, there were German soldiers arrayed in trenches. And they literally just... They would pop up and shoot at one another and then occasionally jump out of the trenches and try and attack the other side, get shot down. It was, a, it was a bloody, awful, ongoing, you know, horror. And on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Day, in 1914, the first year of the war, uh, it, it, on that front in France, uh, they don't know exactly where, but they've pinpointed it relatively to a, at a particular spot, uh, a... a a British soldier heard German soldiers singing Christmas carols, um, you know, what was the German version of Silent Night. And the Still British recognized. Not. I remember yep, that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and the British soldiers recognized um, the tune and they started singing Silent Night. Uh, and so suddenly you had this, bizarre situation where soldiers in these trenches who minutes before had been trying to kill one another were singing, uh, singing together. 
And at a certain point on Christmas Day, a, a German soldier uh, stepped out of the trenches on his side, you know, carrying a small Christmas tree with candles on it and walking toward the British. And, uh, and he was saying, you don't shoot, we don't shoot. It was as simple as that, you know, kind of broken English message. Mm-hmm. The British got the message. They didn't shoot. The Christmas tree was planted. And slowly, British and German soldiers began to step out of the trenches uh, to shake hands, to uh, embrace one another as soldiers uh, who recognized the dignity, the humanity of of those who they were in combat with. And uh, they began to exchange cigarettes. Uh, Those who had treats that had been sent to them uh, from home began to share with the soldiers of the other side. Somebody brought out a soccer ball. And on Christmas Day, they played soccer. Uh, you know, they began to play uh, not as as teams, right? Not as as armies. And it was so beautiful and so good that when this day of Christmas truce, obviously rooted in the Christian traditions that both sides shared, uh, but also you know in the great all the great religions, a recognition that uh, there are times to put down uh, arms to beat swords into plowshares. Um, uh, when the day ended, they went back to their trenches. But the next morning, which is considered Boxing Day, it's a day of a continued day of celebration in, in Britain and to some extent in other European countries, instead of picking up their guns and shooting, they decided to keep celebrating. And so they came up and continued to play soccer and stopped shooting. And the word of the truce began to spread along the front. And more and more soldiers stopped shooting and started, you know, playing soccer or talking to one another or sharing, uh, you know, treats or, or just not fighting. Uh, it became a crisis for the uh, military commanders because suddenly this war had, at least in a key section, stopped. And it lasted for days. just stop, stop. Uh-huh. I, don't want, I don't want us to run past that. That yeah. peace became a crisis for whom? For the, for the military commanders, for the, the prime ministers and the presidents, the people who weren't on the front lines, whose lives would not be lost, uh, who, you know, as George McGovern, the, the great uh, anti-war activist and candidate that your father supported for president in 1972, as George McGovern said one time, he was tired of old men thinking up wars for young men to die in. To die in. And That's the young men, yeah, the young men had decided not to, to have a war anymore, and the old men wanted to get it started. It became, you know, a, a real point of contention. And literally, um, British commanders and German commanders, you know, sent, uh, you know, messages to the front lines, start shooting again, start fighting. Um, the front lines didn't do it. And it took, it literally, in some places, took weeks to, to get the war restarted, if you will. Um, tragically, it did restart. And um, at the in the end of it, this was one of the bloodiest and most horrific wars in the history of the world. Um, the United States lost, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of young men uh, to death and to, um, you know, terrible bodily injury. I, I had a great uncle who, died, who, uh, who survived the war but, but came home completely changed and never, mm-hmm. never really recovered. Uh, and, uh, and families across the United States, across England, across, around the world, um, know that that reality, and so World War One turned out to be, you know, another horrific war. Um, but for a brief period, for for a brief moment, uh, there was a Christmas truce. There was a 
uh, recognition that that war didn't have to be what it became. And if we had actually listened to the soldiers and listened to the, the people on the front lines, human beings who were forced into a terrible situation, uh, it's, it's hard to estimate how many lives might have been saved, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of lives. And when we recognize the intersection of World War I with what was referred to as the Spanish flu, uh, the spread of disease in the last days of the war and in its aftermath uh, that might have been avoided, you suddenly recognize that the world itself might have been a much different and much better place if we had uh, taken the message of and embraced the message of that Christmas truce in 1914. And of course, um, we talk about it today because uh, spiritual leaders and and, uh, anti-war leaders around the world are suggesting that, that another Christmas truce might be a very, very good idea in Ukraine. Mm. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. What do you think about that? And what do you think about the call uh, by these modern faith leaders who are calling upon Ukraine, uh, Russia, the United States, NATO to do the same? What do you think about that? Before we get back to, before we talk about what happened with this this wonderful uh, letter signed by these these leaders in the world of faith, did you know about this, Dwight? I wanted to ask you about this, Dwight McKee. Dr. D, he, people want to know if you had ever heard of this. Yeah, I did know about it. About, about so, so what do you, of course, very, do. So what do you make of it? Well, it was very famous at this time. It was, you know, it was, um, it was proclaimed all over, you know, the world how unique it was. It is, I think, that it was suppressed historically because it was such a bad precedent for the generals and for the politicians and they never wanted to reoccur but at its point in its time it was really proclaimed all over the world and i think it really would be a great precedent for russia which is you know the orthodox church and it's supposed to be a real christian society and uh, ukraine which is, you know, combination of Jewish and Christian to set another precedent that the soldiers were just put there as 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 the brother just said is the chain put their weapons, change their weapons in the process. Uh and pruning hooks. I just think that, that it would be quite a precedent to set. I've heard that there were little situations in Vietnam uh, that happened the same way. You want to speak on that? Well, you are so right. And and the fact is that, that the idea of a Christmas truce is not is not unheard of. It's existed um, throughout history. It existed before World War One, and it has existed since. And you are right that there are stories from Korea and Vietnam and other places where um, soldiers did stop shooting for a time. Uh, in fact, Christmas truces have occurred sometimes formally uh, in in conflicts around the world, where leaders, commanders have have accepted it, often informally. Um, and as we know from Vietnam, there were there were many cases where where soldiers thought to find you know some sort of way to to stop the shooting and to to try and, and uh, uh, get beyond the violence. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a history here, and and I think that that one of the things that uh, that 
just pointed out is so important is that you're right, that history gets suppressed. And what's fascinating about the story of the Christmas truce of uh, 1914 is that, uh, as Dwight says, there were uh, uh, stories of it. It was reported in the media. And at, even at the time, there was a very quick effort to say, well, well, maybe that didn't really happen as it said. So the initial reports were accurate, right? And then very quickly, they said, well, maybe that's a myth. Maybe it didn't really happen. And um, when it actually happened to some extent, again, in uh, 1915, there was far less reporting on it. There was an effort to kind of push it into the, the background of memory. And as time went on, uh, particularly in, in, in Britain, where the Christmas truce had, had been such a, a, a fundamental reality and had been reported, uh, there was a major effort to say it was a myth, that it didn't happen. And uh, the only reason that didn't succeed is because of old soldiers um, who, uh, especially as they got much older, um, and this actually you know, brings us up to around the time of the Iraq War, because uh, some of these soldiers are now you know, getting toward 100 years old, even more than 100. And um, they would step up and say, you know, um, there was a time when soldiers decided not to, not to pursue a war. And these, you know, 90-something, 100-something-year-old soldiers would tell the story of the Christmas truce. And then historians began to track back through the records and to, to piece it together. And thankfully, um, the truth survived. It, it came through, and it cut apart the lie that said that this desire for peace was a myth. Um, and so I guess one of the great lessons is that we often battle. We have often battled, um, you know, with media, with powerful elites uh, who want to tell us that, you know, we have no alternative but war, that we have no alternative but violence. The reality is that people of many faith traditions have, have recognized throughout history that there are alternatives. And, and again, that's what, what brings us to this current moment. You know, World War I was a war fought largely in Europe. Not entirely, but largely. Um, and a century on, we have a war being fought, you know, in Eastern Europe and in Far Eastern Europe and into uh, Russia, between Russia and Ukraine. And and it's horrible war. It's a war that sees that has seen many wars that are comparable to uh, what what was seen during World War One. Luckily, we don't have quite as much use of chemical weapons and things of that nature. But there's awful bombings. There are atrocities. There. Are there are reports of war crimes. And so what you end up with is a situation where, again, we're coming toward a Christmas. We're being told that, uh, that we can't avert this war, that, that it's just going to go on, that, that there will be bombs dropped on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day on families huddled in their basements or trying to, to protect themselves. Well, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And the Reverend Jesse Jackson, uh, Reverend William Barber and others, uh, have stepped up, uh, not just Christian, but, but folks of Jewish and Muslim traditions uh, have stepped up and said, you know, the United States can and should take the lead in trying to encourage a Christmas truce. No guarantees it will happen. It's no guarantees that, that Russia will see the light or that Ukrainians will recognize this possibility. But um, it, is, it is worth the effort not merely because it might save some lives on 
Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and perhaps in a, in a few days afterwards, which is obviously a good goal, but also because um, it might, you know, have a cessation of violence for at least a moment. And that cessation of violence might create the opening for the diplomacy, the negotiations that we are told President Biden has, has sought to advance. Um, and so the Christmas truce is much more than just a myth or a fantasy or a goal or, or some, you know, uh, wild uh, dream. It's something that has history, as we've talked about a little bit here, but also potency uh, uh, in this moment as a, a tool that might be used uh, to dial down uh, the violence. And that's why I'm so excited to talk about it. Also, I'm so excited by what Reverend Jackson, Reverend Barber, and others have done. I'm very excited about that, and I'm thinking that we should also look at what we should have learned from 1914, that it was the military-industrial complex that pushed the soldiers to fight once again. Because if left to their own devices, they would have been at peace. And they would have embraced each other in that case, in those cases as brothers. But it is, there is, we're feeding a machine. I was just reading uh, John Nichols of The Nation magazine. Uh, an article, it was, I love these, these very interesting extended uh, investigative reports they have at the Washington Post. Um, and they were talking about this, um, this, I guess, the revolving door between the the highest-ranking military personnel and the military industry, and how you know they basically get the top rank and then they go and make millions for the military-industrial complex. I mean, it's just yep. it's routinely what they do. The people we see on television, that is what they're doing, and to think that. They, they let the truce go beyond Christmas in 1914. They said, no, no, we're going to keep this going. We're going to share some food. We're going to play some soccer. Uh, we're going to work this out. And, and that the military brass were alarmed, John. They were like, oh, wait, yeah. wait, 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 what's going on? <laughs> that is so crazy. I mean, because, you know, it goes against everything you're taught in kindergarten, John. Yeah. Don't fight. Yep, yep. Be nice. All of that. And it's, it's like... Um, the original Mother's Day for peace. Uh, what did she say? I, I will not teach my children to unlearn all of the Christian values I've taught them. I'm not going to send them the war to do that. We've got to end this. Talk to me about what we can bring to this moment, what, what Reverend Jackson and Reverend Dr. Barber and Dr. Cornell West and these other leaders from around the world. Is the Pope on that list? Mm-hmm. Huh? Um, I don't know. I don't think okay. so at this point. Um, I think we'd know if he was. Uh, okay. But uh, I can tell you that the Pope uh, is a very likely candidate to, to join such a list. Uh, and obviously, I want to see him join the uh, list. I do. Yeah, this is. I will make a point that this has been very much an American uh, initiative, initially at least, launched by Reverend Jackson, Reverend Barber, and, and others. Um, uh, Liz the O'Hara, Reverend Liz the O'Hara's, uh, Cornell West. And so um, I think as, as the word spreads, of course, um, there should be the promotion of a, of a Christmas truce uh, by, by great religious leaders of all traditions, um, and ideally, as Dwight points out, uh, by Russian Orthodox uh, religious leaders as well. Um, and, and so I, I do think that your point about the military-industrial complex is this incredibly important one. Uh, it was actually in World War One that uh, we began to, to clearly identify this military-industrial complex. 
uh, they were referred to as the war profiteers, the, the munitions merchants. And um, Robert M. LaFollette, the senator from my state, Wisconsin, uh, was a, a militant critic of them. He was opposed to the war. And it's important to understand that World War One had a lot of opposition in the United States and around the world. Uh, he was opposed to the war because he saw it as pointless uh, and unnecessary and, and in many ways a war to maintain colonialism uh, that the great powers would fight in Europe. But, but their goal was to maintain their colonial uh, overreach in Africa and Asia and other places. And so he opposed the war. And one of the reasons that he said the war went forward was not because the people of the United States demanded it. In fact, he showed uh, during one Senate debate the evidence of referendums and votes and uh, statements from across the United States opposing U.S. entry into the war, um, but because of the, the arms merchants, because the the people that made the bullets and the bombs uh, wanted to make more bullets and sell more bombs, and they could get richer. And it's interesting that the one of the impacts of World War One uh, on World War Two was that in a in a much more necessary war, if we can say there's such a thing as a necessary war, a war against fascism. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt and, and those around him did something very interesting. They removed the profit from war. They put a 90, I believe it was a 92 percent tax on increased profits by manufacturers during the war. So if you may, were making more money during the war than you had before, uh, you basically had to pay it all over to the federal government. So they oh, took wow. the profit motive out of war. And uh, that didn't weaken the U.S., our, our industries, you know, produced more than enough weapons. They, they certainly uh, had what was referred to as an arsenal of democracy that, that played a huge role in collaboration with the, the British and the Russians in defeating fascism in Europe. But um, the profiteering was taken out of it. And so it's possible to do that. And what I would say to you, Katrina, is, or what I would say to you, Cynthia, <laughs> is... Vanden Heuvel, I'm, I'm absolutely I, flattered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, good comparison to the two of you. But what I would say to you, Cynthia, is that uh, um, when, we, when we think about war, if we think about the profit motive associated with it, uh, we have much more clarity. Uh, that may not mean that... that all wars can be ended. But what it does mean is that many wars can be recognized as unnecessary. And if we circle back to the Christmas truce of uh, 1914, I think that's what a lot of the soldiers understood, right? That that war did not have to be fought. And it's not just the profit motive. It's also the political motives, the the desires of, of those in power to um, you know, co- to rally their country on behalf of a military endeavor. I think that's something we've seen with Putin and Russia. Um, and when people recognize that a war is being fought, not for reasons of any necessity, but mm-hmm. for reasons of politics and profiteering, that is when they, they rise up in opposition. And I would point out that even as we speak, there are brave people in Russia who have organized anti-war demonstrations, who have gone to jail um, opposing this Ukraine war. And so we know there are people who want this war to end. And and my sense is that the advocacy for a Christmas truce would find a great deal of uh, sympathy on the ground uh, in, in Ukraine and in Russia.
Well, you know, I mean, now our European allies are criticizing the United States. They're saying, you're making money off of this. We need to stop this. This is very. This is happening on their so- soil. Eurasia, everybody. Europe goes into Asia, and it houses not only it houses Russia. You, that landmass houses Russia, India, China, Europe, all of that. They're like enough already. A Christmas truce, everybody. A Christmas truce. A Christmas truce. You know, very quickly. Um, just give me one minute. What do you want us to know for Christmas? John Nichols. What I, what I want us to know is that the lessons of the Nazarene live on in our time, and that uh, the Prince of Peace taught us to, to seek peace. Uh, it is never easy. It is never given to us. It's something we have to work toward. But if ever there was a time to work toward it, uh, now is that time. And just as the money changers were t- chased from the temple, uh, the war profiteers uh, should be chased from the world stage. Mm. Love you, John Nichols. Merry Christmas to you. May God bless you real good, you and your beautiful family. And absolutely, and to our brothers and sisters of Jewish faith, all of these nights of Hanukkah, may you be blessed in this holy, holy, holy season. Mm -hmm.